electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report this Friday. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the rally in stocks, whether we're about to have an even bigger move higher. We'll debate your money with the Investment Committee, as always. Joining me for the hour today, Jenny Harrington, Steve Weiss, Jason Snipe, and John Najarian. He's the co-founder of Market Rebellion. Com. Let's go to the wall. Let's check the markets. S&P 500 is edging back towards a new high, only about 2% away. The Dow's less than 1.2% away, back above 35,000 today, 35,184. Three quarters of 1%. And the 10-year note, there's the yield on it, 157. John Najarian, I'm going to begin with you today. Um, I can make a checklist this week that looks pretty darn good, and I want to get your thought on it. Mm-hmm. Earnings, all that worry about what's going to happen with earnings, we're off to a great start. Economic data looks pretty mm-hmm. good to me. PPI below expectations, retail sales above expectations. I mentioned the yield on the 10-year. It's behaving. Yes, it's moved up, but not in a crazy way. More good COVID news. You've got the international travel announcement today. Seasonality is starting to look a little bit better. There's a risk on feel in the market. You take a look at what Bitcoin is doing. Is this the week, Dr. J, that broke the corrections back? Mm-hmm. Perhaps, Scott, perhaps. I mean, I still would like to see a little more on the companies that are delivering goods side of the business. Uh, We've got great earnings. You're absolutely right. Um, And uh, that's from Alcoa to Bank America and Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley. I mean, these are folks, with the exception of uh, Alcoa, that don't really have to deliver things. Um, It's the movement of those goods and so forth, Scott, and exactly uh, bringing in things in particular from Asia to the United States that I'm not so much worried that that's going to trigger a correction, Scott, but I am keeping my eye on that to see if indeed it does crimp some of the earnings that we're about to get from the likes of Apple with Macs and iPads and iPhones and so forth. If it does crimp that, then what's the uh, guidance going forward? So those are two things that could could um, be things that we worry about. For that reason, I bought a few S&P puts today uh, just to sort of protect some of the tech side in particular of my portfolio, Scott, but not significant. Uh, it, it'll, it'll help if we see a bit of a correction, but it wasn't like I bought uh, enough to cover the entire portfolio. Just a little, just in case. Something happens, and uh, right now I'm not looking for that something to happen. Yeah, you know, Jason Snipe, it feels like we began the week talking about this new call from Mike Wilson or, you know, an, an, an addendum to a call that he already had um, calling for fire and ice, a greater than 10 percent correction. Here we are today with that list that I made that that looks pretty good. Tom Lee says today the case is strengthening yeah. for a year end rally. Mike Santoli, our chief markets commentator, says his mystery broker has gotten more bullish. Here's what Mike tweeted. Look at this. 
The mystery broker backs off his call for a fuller correction, now expects stocks to work higher, cites the market's resilience, absorbing threats like Delta, the debt ceiling, inflation, energy, the EPS forecast dip, near textbook technical bottoming process, and coming seasonal strength. Is this the week that yeah. did it? Are we back thinking that the market can move higher? Yeah, Scott, it's a, it's a great question. And I have to go back to what John just said. I, you know, when I'm looking at, obviously, the CPI and PPI numbers are a little bit more tame off a higher base. Of course, inflation is here. Um, you know, unemployment numbers were tough from September. But, you know, claims data this week had a two handle on it, which is the first time we've seen that since March of 2020. You know, part of me, when I look at earnings and financials, which obviously have been blowout numbers, I mean, I'm really curious to see how the companies that, as John just just described, that deliver things, you know, and, and how are they deal with supply shortages, uh, supply chain issues, and input costs rising. So that's where I'm starting to turn to as we head forward into the get deeper into the earnings season, but I've been happy what I've seen thus far. Yeah, I mean, you, you see what's happening over the last couple of days. I, I mentioned we're not that far away from new S&P highs or, or Dow highs. It makes me think of one person. And with all due respect to you, Steve, it's not you. It's, it's Jim Labenthal. It's Mr. All-In. The guy who's been, <laughs> look, Weiss's shot must be frozen. You see the look on his face? Um, it makes me think of you, Farmer Jim. Weiss is still frozen I, because you are Mr. All in I, and you've been the most <laughs> bullish guy on the whole show. This week was made for yeah. you, my friend. I'm, I'm enjoying it, Scott. I'm enjoying it. I'm also enjoying those digs at Steve. That was very well done. Um, look, let's let's keep this simple. <laughs> I think there are two very important forces at work here. One, Delta has peaked, and I, I can't understate how important that is. That means children go back to school. Parents go back to work. Parents go back to work in places like the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach, helping to unclog that congestion. They go back to work in semiconductor plants in Southeast Asia that we know were hard hit by the Delta variant. These are good things. It doesn't mean the supply chain issues are solved overnight with a snap of a fingers, but it means that this starts to thaw. We're moving in the right direction. Um, the other really important factor is the Fed. And, you know, you and I have discussed this, Scott. We've all discussed this. OK, the Fed's going to taper. But guess what? For the next eight months, the Fed is going to be putting liquidity into the financial system, albeit at a lower rate. But they're still going to be swapping cash for bonds. And that is supported for the market. That's why any correction that we've had has been really no more, no more than 5%, 5%. Uh, overall. 5% Scott, is make, the number, right? I want to make one more right? point. 5%, Jim, you yep. mentioned it. That, that's make, the number. Yeah, that's it. We're done. We're done with the correction. But I want to make one more point, because to me, this is very important. And you and I were speaking with Mike Santoli. I forget if it was Tuesday or Monday this week. And I pointed out how unloved this rally is right now, how people are doubting on the reopening trade. Now, I see that in a very specific sense that the reopening trades, the value, the cyclical names, they usually this week, they have all surged higher in the open and then they faded into the close. In fact, we discussed that at one day when the market started to fade midday. That's telling me something. That's telling me that a lot of people who got stuck in the first leg of the reopening trade from November of last year to May of this year, they got stuck in it, okay? And they've spent the summer saying, oh my God, what did I do? Now that trade is rallying again. Those weak hands are getting shook out, but they're selling those shares to people who are going to hold it for a rally that I think will pick up steam into the end of the year. I really like that this rally is unloved right now. I like that a lot. Yeah, well, it might get more loved soon. Uh, Jenny, do you think it will? Is this the week that is, is going to we're going to look back and we're going to say that's the week that did it. 
That's the week that did it. I don't. No, I don't think so. <laughs> and this is fun because Jim and I Jenny. agree on so much, and his points. I know, but listen to me. So, so Jim's points are all totally solid, but then I see another side of it. And I see not necessarily headwinds, but I see hurdles. And these are hurdles not just for the next quarter, but for the next 18 months or longer, maybe next couple of years, which is $30 trillion of government debt. Yeah, Jim, you're totally right. A lot of money is still coming in between now and next summer when tapering's done, but tapering's going to be over soon enough, which means there will not be $120 billion a month being pumped in. Inflation is looking like it might be stickier than we expect. Taxes and government regulation are not getting easier. They're probably getting a little tougher. Geopolitical issues are tough. And, um, sorry, and more than, sorry, I already said inflation, so I've got my things covered. Sorry about that. Um, so I look at these, and I think that there's just hurdles in the way. I look at the bank stock earnings, and this is um, John's point earlier. Those are great, but they're not necessarily indicative of what's to come because they're not facing supply chain issues. They're not facing um, labor cost issues, and they're not facing issues from energy prices going higher. I don't see a super rosy next quarter. Now, I'm also fully invested, right? But I think this is where it comes down to what's the magnitude of your bullishness? And this is really the question. Does does this mean that we're going to be up 10%? If Jim's happy, to, Jim, does that mean you're, you want you think we're going to be up 10%? Or does it mean you think we're going to be up two or three? And I think what we're going to need to do as a society, as investors, over the next several months is start to temper our expectations. Okay. We need to understand that the last 10 years has delivered us a 16.5% annualized return. That is unlikely to be delivered in the coming 10 years. And we just need to get more realistic. Okay. So when we talk about being bullish, you know, that's fine, but let's define it. So Steve Weiss, um, you've arguably been one of the more cautious committee members on the desk. You've talked about your cash levels going up. You know, you've positioned yourself for maybe a, a larger pullback. Are you rethinking that after that checklist that I hope you at least heard if your shot was frozen? I'm assuming you could at least hear the conversation. I certainly hope so. What do you think? Yep, yep, I heard what uh, the list, I heard what Flyer Jim said. And here's where I'd say, look, I've been to uh, the golf course with you, and when you get in the range, your game's completely different than when you tee off. This week was practice. This week was the warm-up. We tee off next week when you get the earnings that Jason referred to, that John referred to. And I just don't think it's going to be that smooth. Now, I have added cash in, not because I thought the market would go up, because some of the stocks that I own were severely dislocated relative to the fundamentals. So that includes FedEx. So we can keep talking about the market averages and Jim keep crowing how he's all in and how the market's near the top. But Jim doesn't own the indices. He owns stocks. He owns stocks that have gotten crushed, some mm -hmm. that have done very, very well. And that tells the story to me where we are. I don't buy this, this garbage, much loved, overloved, underloved. Who cares? Okay? Those are people's opinions that are out there, strategists saying it's going up, it's going up, except one or two. Here's what I know I know that we're going to hear from companies and they're going to talk about the supply chain which if we the know CEOs are smart which we they're know. going to give themselves some room which we know right we know that but that's been right well do we know that anymore scott yeah we know the market's I mean, what are they going to tell us we don't know because, what, what how are they do you, tell how do you us know the market know. knows that the market knows it what are we what, what are they going to tell us we don't know what did you what did the Scott, what did the banks tell you that you don't know? That Goldman's going to print a lot of money? That B of A is going to print a lot of money? That banking was great? That all the SPACs attitude? We heard all that. We knew all that. The stocks have gone up. Because the market discounts 
right away and then it discounts again. So while we know that about earnings, just wait to see how they how they handle it when the companies disappoint. Okay, we knew trucking was good. J.B. Hunt was up 10 bucks today. Farmer Jim. So it's not what you know when you know it. It's what you don't know in the future. Farmer Jim. Uh, Yeah, so Steve said something uh, amazingly that was very on target, which is that I am an investor in stocks as opposed to the indices. And I think that this is illustrative here because we've talked about this rolling correction. Guys, that correction in the cyclical reopening, whatever you want to call it, value stock trade, it already happened in the summer, and this is the time you got to realize we're coming out of consolidation. You can look across the board. You can look at the strong bids to a financial like Goldman Sachs, an industrial like Northrop Grumman, a, an energy company like Marathon Petroleum. And be, believe me, this list goes Northrop, on and on. Northrop the sentiment, all-time high. To, Northrop all-time high today, uh, just to throw that out since you mentioned the name. But I mean, and this list is is incomplete. You can see the bid to what's been a battleground stock, stock like a, a Win Resorts. You can see that bid, and you know what I notice about Steve, and he and I know each other very well. Steve is angry today. I don't know why Steve is angry. Is it because he's not as invested as he thinks he should be? Is it because he's listening to me and saying, "Wait a second, why aren't I in these stocks that are let, let, let flying that. right now?" Let, 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 let me let I me mean, let Farmer me answer Jim, that. Farmer first Jim of all, has every first reason. Of all, I'm, not, I'm not angry. Farmer Jim has every reason to crow a, a little bit he today, does. Steve. You should be on the defensive today, Weiss. No, no, I'm not in defense, but let's put it in perspective. Farmer Jim was crowing before the correction happened. So we're getting back to where he was when it happened. So let's let's put the facts out there that are true facts, not alternate facts. That's the reality. Now, do I think the market trend up? Sure, I do. However, if you take a look at my portfolio, my portfolio's got what you call beta which means that it acts better than the market on up days generally and worse than the market on down days, beta. So I've actually performed in line with the market as it's rally, Moderna, beta. Mm -hmm. So that's how I'm playing it. And yeah, by the way, I've made money in the short side. And by the way, I've covered stocks when they're near the bottoms, like Baba, like PDD, like Billy. So I've been able to play both sides of the market. I just don't sit there with a target on my back saying, I'm always long all the time. Why, and by why the way, so I can't change I love, I love, I love when he everything. gets fired up. What? I love when you get fired up. I mean, that, but, that's like the, the ethos. But he's damn right there. I'm fired up, I Scott. It. I love it. You know what? Farmer Jim. Right. And you know why I'm fired up? Why? You know why I'm fired up, Scott? One more thing. The reason I'm fired up is because I didn't think Jim would be on the show today. I thought it was just going to be us. You know, I was going to. I knew it. I I knew that was why. (laughs) I was going to goodbye, Jim, right now. (laughs) But you know what, Jim? I'm going to keep you around. Jim, you spend the rest of the A block with us, Jim. If you if you can do it, I I hope you can. I I want to bring in. I want to bring in one of our headliners today, Brian Belsky. He's BMO chief investment strategist. He's with us once again. It's good to see you again. Welcome back. Thanks for having us. Uh, Hello from Canada. We're open for business. Yeah, uh, it's nice to see a lot of people opening for business. All right. You you heard the conversation. Is this the week that broke the corrections back? You you must think or hope that it is because you got forty eight hundred on the S&P. You know, listening to your family there back and forth, it kind of sounds like a Belsky family Christmas from years ago, arguing at the Christmas table. But no, listen, uh, yeah, I would say, yes, uh, this is. And I'm not a technician, but my very first mentor on Wall Street was William O'Neill. And he taught us a really cool pattern called a cup with a handle. 
And I think the market over the last few weeks has made this cup with a handle type pattern, which is very, very bullish. And as you know, and I've been called Pollyanna and all this kind of stuff, uh, but it's, it's always better to be better coming out of a negative side of things than bitter. And we can be better and we can be positive because the macro environment actually is better than everybody thought. Earnings are better than everybody thought. Here's some facts. If you take a look at what S&P earnings were supposed to be in the third quarter as of June, it was 20, up 23%. They went up to up 25% by the end of September. Now we're coming in at 27%. Earnings are going higher, not even talking about financials. I mean, come on. You know that I've been on this program saying, you asked me once on one hit saying, Belsky, if you're going to buy one it. thing, what are you going to buy? Financials, said, financials, financials, financials. Yeah, and here's why. I mean, look at what these companies have been able to do. And it's not just, yeah, Goldman's going to print money. No, look at the wealth management side of the business. And these multi-divisional assets from the, from the big money center banks are very similar in scope to what's gone on in Canada here for the big five banks. But that's why you want to own these companies because of scale. And the numbers are unbelievable. With respect to this notion that earnings are slowing, analysts have been and companies have been sandbagging the numbers for 10 years. It's under promise, over deliver. And it's never been more prominent than the last two years. And I think this trend is going to continue. So, oh, by the way, it's not just this first week. I think earnings are going to be better for the next couple, three weeks. And as we transition as a market, to a more earnings-driven market, we think that's very positive. Lastly, this whole notion of calling indices versus stocks, we've said for the last six to eight quarters that the market is a market of stocks. This is a stock-picking market. Correlations have fallen apart with respect to intersector correlations, meaning you want to buy stocks, and it's never been more apparent than the last six months, especially with this tug-of-war with respect to growth versus value. So yes, we're an investor. Yes, we're bullish. Yes to 4,800. And I think the market is going to surprise people like they've never seen. Yes, Jenny, you're too cautious. That's what that's what Belsky's also saying. He just doesn't want to call you out directly. That's what that's I know. What, that's but you what know what, said. Brian, when we were on last time. Yeah. But when we were on last time a month ago, he called me a rain cloud. And I got to say, and you guys know, I hate arbitrary time period <laughs> choices, but this is about a month on the nose. Markets down half a percent over last month. And by the way, Jim, you were super sunshine and roses that day, too. Yeah, but it so, sounds to me, though, Jenny, saying. that you're still expecting like a storm. You go, Jenny. Right. Are you, it sounds like you're no. still expecting some no, kind no, of no, storm no, no, where no. Belsky says, <laughs> Belsky says, put your sunglasses on. The sun's out and it's going to get brighter here. But let's be really clear. I am not expecting a storm. I just think it's going to be hard. And I think what's interesting is we could have a kind of flat market. You know, and there could be huge winners and huge losers under the surface. I think there's a lot of churn and boil under the surface of the market. Um, I am not expecting a storm. And I think that's where that $120 billion a month that's still flowing in is going to support us. We also have a government that's pretty convinced that they need to keep the market up to win re-elections. So there are a lot of focus that, there's a lot of focus up there out there to keep the market going. And I think that'll continue. I don't expect a storm. I just don't expect sunshine. Weiss, I think it's going to be hard to make money. I almost forward. feel like Weiss Belsky was sort of incrementally trying to take your, your, you down, too, um, with some of the, the points that you made. Do you, want, <laughs> you have a rebuttal for Brian Belsky? <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what he said. I mean, what he says, the market's going to be up. But, well, he said, the, you know, you know it's, it's not just this week. The end of the year. He said you, you're, you're, you made the case, if I recall correctly, that, you know, don't take earnings for this week that the heavy lift starts to begin next week. So this week, mm -hmm. whatever, the real work starts now. Belsky's basically saying, no, the earnings are going to be that's, good for the next many weeks. I don't want to misrepresent anybody's well, point, but I think I accurately got, got this. 
That's, that's where we disagree. In terms of the market overall, I don't think that's going to be the case in the industrial sector. Now, there are some stocks that I own, and I own them because I think earnings are going to be pretty good. The ones where I think there are going to be issues, I shave those back, like Skyworks and the Corvo. Uh, but XPO, GXO, Moderna, all those, they're going to blow it out. So it is stocks like, so we agree in that. Where I think Brian's wrong is that earnings are slowing down. S&P forecasters show earnings up 9% next year versus whatever they were, 40% this year. That's definitionally slowing down. Are the analysts going to be wrong by a factor of four? Costin, who's got at GS, who's great in this, is only looking for earnings up 2%. Then when you go through the sectors, you see financials that Brian was talking about actually going to have down earnings next year. And that's true of the estimates through the entire street. So you got to be very careful and say the market's going to go up. That's a pretty rote statement. Markets always go up. They go up 90% of the time. So I'm not looking for a major yeah, bear market it, or a major sell-off. I understand that, but, but he's I'm suggesting... I'm just to check the data I have. I understand, but do, right. he's suggesting that we're going to hit 4,800 on the S&P by the end of the year. I mean, just because markets go up Possible? 90% of the time over one's lifetime doesn't necessarily mean that they're, you know, just saying it's going to go to 4,800 um, is, is some sort of, you know, no-duh kind of a hey, statement. Scott. But, but look, Scott, look, I'll it, say something. It, it I will go Jim, higher. Hold on. Hold on, hold, hold, hold on, Jim. You're not even supposed to be here. Hold on, Jim. Um, <laughs> look, the market, my view is I'm looking at the quarter, <laughs> at this quarter. And I'm saying that I think the quarter could be weak. I'm keeping cash because I think I could be more opportunistic, opportunistic as I was with FedEx and some others. So that's why I have cash, because I think that some of the names that I had are going to have bad quarters. Belsky. So why not try to manage the portfolio? Belsky. Wapner. No, I mean, he's, he said Roman he thinks you're wrong. <laughs> he said he thinks you're wrong. Well, I thought, I mean, isn't that kind of obvious? Well, first off, first off. No, thank you. First off, uh, I feel like I should have a bro hug with uh, Farmer Jim because uh, he had me at hello. Jenny, uh, congratulations on your 50 basis point call there. That's a rounding error. So <laughs> thank I, you so especially much. Especially when you sit across. <laughs> Whoa. Well, when you sit across from a client uh, you, a month ago and you say, I think you should take money off the table and you lost 50 basis points, when you tell a client in private client land to sell, they're not coming back. I mean, that's the reality of, of what I've seen in my 31 years doing this. With respect uh, to Steve, he mentioned industrials, but then he didn't mention in, any industrial stocks with re, except for FedEx. If you look at industrials, you buy industrials because of operating FedEx performance reported, and cash Brian. flow, which look amazing. Hold on. Uh, it looks amazing. Uh, but if you but here's the key in industrials. If you do the work and strip out strip out what's happening in industrials, it's the conglomerates that have been crushed because of what's happened globally and because of what's happened in China. That's going to continue. You want to be domestically focused. The truckers, the rails, the waste management companies, Northrop, Lockheed. GD. These are names that we've owned forever, and we think that they're going to continue to go up. You want to become more domestically focused. Again, this is about fundamental analysis, bottom-up stock picking, and not just calling out a sector. You have to do the work and call out, okay. call out individual do, names. With respect to financials hey, and then Brian, the low Brian, numbers Brian, next Brian, year. Where do, where do I want to be? Hold on, Weiss. I'm gonna but, let me jump in because I, I want to steer it forward before, before we have to go. Okay. Sorry. Um, where do I want to be in terms of technology? Because it, it's obviously been a spot of consternation. It's, you know, the chip stocks, some of the high-flying, high-valuation stocks, although, 
You know, Kathy Wood's ARK Innovation Fund is, uh, is up more than 4.5% week to date. That's the first positive week in four, so it's been a nice bounce there. I looked earlier today, and, you know, Apple's what? Apple, last time I checked, was like 13 bucks away from its uh, a high. It's at, it's at 143 and change. It's flat right now. But the 52-week high is, is 157. Belsky, where do I want to be in terms of tech? And then Jason Snipe, I need you in after, after Belsky answers that. Well, I think there's the four parts of tech are the secular growers, the structural growers, the value plays, and then the, the hyper growers like the ARC Fund. I think those are going to be the ones that are going to be the hardest ones to hold, Scott. As we do sift higher in interest rates, there's no doubt about it. Technology overall, we just put a note out last night that five out of the last seven interest rate cycles, when interest rates have gone out, tech has outperformed. So I think it's a misnomer that tech can't do well. But we would equal weight across the board from whether or not Apple and secular structural growth like NVIDIA and more value type growth in terms of like Cisco um, and uh, Texas Instruments. So we, we love the technology sector. It's our favorite sector over the next three to five years. And we actually think it's more deflationary than inflationary. Did, did I, you know, so you see the retail report today, Jason Snipe and say, okay, you know, we've, we've talked about the financials. We've just talked about technology. Maybe we need to talk about retail. I mean, you bought more Target, right? So, or you bought yeah. Target. Did, was this a new position or an addition? It's a new position. So, you know, we've been a long, long time holder of Walmart. And uh, Target, obviously, this has been a great execution story. They're up 30%, 30% plus, you know, this year. And for us, I mean, it, you know, they pulled back a little over 10% earlier this week. You know, I know we're heading into the fourth quarter and supply chain shortages, which we've talked about ad nauseum. But I do think from an execution perspective, you know, Target is a, is a name I'm going to bet on going forward. So we decided to uh, get a position in the name. Farmer Jim, leave me with a thought before I have to say goodbye and, and send you back to the farm for the rest of the day. Uh, looking forward that? to the weekend on the farm, but but no, no, hang, hang on, Stevie. You're too bitter and angry today. You you piped down, okay? This is a, a happy <laughs> show for happy people. Um, I'm happy, man. <laughs> let me let me let me summarize this. Let me summarize this. Do it. Think about all of us are investors. We're thinking about the next piece of news. Next piece of news could be bad. It could be there's a new variant of of the uh, COVID, but. What do you think the probabilities are that the next piece of news is that the number of ships outside of L.A. and Long Beach is going down? What do you think is going to happen when the market says, hey, wait a second, Ford is getting more semiconductor chips? What do you think the market's going to do if, if uh, Congress passes an infrastructure bill by October 31st? Now, I know these are all ifs, and there are some negative ifs out there as well. But I'm telling you, I see there's a high likelihood that you're getting good news over the next coming weeks, and we rally hard into the year end. Good to see you. Have a good weekend. Doc, give me 30 seconds on top of what Farmer Jim just said, because I know, you know, you didn't make too much of the S&P puts you bought, but you still bought them. Yeah, I, I bought them, Scott, because, quite frankly, as you know, I've been buying energy like crazy. Um, I've been buying uranium. I've been buying coal. I've been buying oil and adding to and rolling up. Uh, I view those uh, that area as a problem going forward. Uh, unlike Kalanovic, if we do indeed see mm -hmm. uh, oil mm -hmm. prices over 100 per barrel, Scott, I think that's going to be a big negative. I think it draws the consumer back rather than letting them right. uh, enjoy what they should be enjoying right now. All right. Appreciate that. Brian Belsky, you have a good weekend. We'll see you soon. Always appreciate you being on the program. That's Brian Belsky joining us today. Thanks Straight so ahead, much. got an upgrade for high-flying Moderna. You know who owns it. We'll debate it next. 
And next week marks the 10th anniversary of halftime on CNBC. We have an all-star lineup, some of the biggest names in investing to talk markets, their best ideas. It all starts Monday with Carl Icahn and Jim Chanos. That is just part of the list. David Einhorn, Jeffrey Gunlock, Nelson Peltz, David Tepper, Jim Reynolds, so many more. We're back after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. Nicholas Cruz, the accused gunman in the Parkland, Florida school shooting, will plead guilty to murder and the deaths of 17 students and staff members. That's according to his attorneys. The move means that Cruz will bypass trial and go to a penalty phase. Prosecutors say despite the pleas, they will still seek a death sentence. And on the news tonight, Cruz pleads guilty without a deal. How he still might avoid the death penalty tonight at 7 Eastern. A Marine Corps officer who criticized the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan has been sentenced. Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller, Jr. has been ordered to forfeit $5,000 in pay and will receive a letter of reprimand. And this is different. In Australia, a brazen robber is accused of using a front-end loader to smash his way into that motorcycle dealership and then steal two bikes. He didn't get far, though, because police followed him on a low-speed chase through suburban streets and then railroad tracks. He was then arrested on foot after the front loader slipped down an embankment. Scott, I don't know how fast those things go, but he certainly made quite an effort to get away. (laughs) Not fast enough. Rahel, thank you. Hey, take a look at shares of Moderna. Uh, We want to show you an intraday uh, chart here because there is news, according to Dow Jones, that the FDA has delayed Moderna's vaccine uh, for adolescents. Um, That's an interesting uh, development there. Uh, also see here that uh, that delay, the decision on it uh, could take weeks uh, is what uh, the report does say. And you can see the move in the stock on an intraday basis. Weiss, you know, I I was going to go to you on Moderna today regardless because of an upgrade to overweight at Piper Sandler and the $445 target. So you had some good news. 
in the middle part of the week regarding Moderna, but this is a, a no doubt negative. Well, uh, yeah, and, and I haven't seen the report. I listened to all, you know, eight or nine hours pretty much of the FDA hearings, yes, yes, FDA panel discussions yesterday in Moderna, and it was all extremely favorable. Look, there, there have been, as we saw in Europe about a week and a half ago, that uh, myocarditis, which is inflammation of the heart and sac around it, there have been incidents of that. But they haven't released the data showing that. And in fact, when you look at the Kaiser data, which had two and a half million people in it, that they showed eight cases from Pfizer and seven cases from Moderna, and they all healed. And out of the one and a half million that weren't vaccinated, there were 75 cases of it. So I think there's really nothing there that this is momentary and that it'll come back. It's clearly we've seen all the data, including yesterday, that it's much more effective than the Pfizer vaccine because it only dropped to 85 percent, you know, from an efficacious standpoint, even with Delta versus 45 percent from Pfizer. Now, the good news yesterday and why they recommend the stock is that the FDA approved a booster at 50 micrograms, 50 UGs versus the 100, they will double their production. So increase by a billion dollars next year at the same price. So I expect this to go away. Keep in mind that Moderna was approved, EUA approval, after Pfizer. So there's delay in the data. Additionally, the Pfizer data, Pfizer data comes from Israel, which was way before the U.S. in terms of authorizing the vaccine. So they have a much longer history of data. So, look, I think this is an opportunity to get in front of it and to buy it, uh, because I also expect mix and match to be approved later on today when the panel votes. Yeah. And why would you ever take a J&J booster or a Pfizer when you can get the Moderna, which is much more effective? Right. I know. I so know. That's, and, that's one, and that's one investor's opinion. Um, somebody who's obviously long Moderna. Let's just let's just throw that out there. Um, yeah. You know, just just make that mm -hmm. clear. That, that, that's your your opinion. Um, We'll keep well, you up actually, to it's not my opinion in terms of the on it being effective. No, that's I, I know, but that's you know, in the data. I, I, I understand. I understand. It's the why would you ever? Why, why would you ever comment? I, I, I got you. Um, right, that's true. No, that's true. Yeah. I agree. We'll, we'll have more on this um, if we do have more developments, um, certainly moving forward. Um, Weiss, let me also and I don't by the way, I don't see much of a negative impact on the overall market. Maybe the Dow's lost 20 or so points over the last you know, 90 seconds since we started talking about this story and this delay for the Moderna vaccine for adolescents as being reported by the Wall Street Journal. But again, if we do get more, we'll certainly bring it to you uh, immediately. And there's the move in Moderna shares. Weiss, I do want to talk about a couple of other moves you, you've made uh, if we move forward here. You bought back Jable and you have a new position mm -hmm. in Atcor. ATKR is the ticker. Why don't you tell us about the new position first yeah. in a stock that not sure we've spoken about before on this show. And tell me then about buying back Jable, if you would, please. No, actually, Atcor was a position that I had, and I got out of the position. And uh, I had concerns over okay. pricing in, uh, in plastics. Hey, Weiss, forgive me. Those, for, forgive those, me for doing this. Yeah. Um, I've got Meg Terrell on the phone right now, uh, who's called in to give us some more perspective on this story. Meg, what do you know? Well, Scott, the Moderna's had its application in for 12 to 17-year-olds since, I believe, June. And it's been a really interesting time frame for that because Pfizer got its application in for that age group first. The FDA reviewed it. And then we started to see that very rare signal of the myocarditis risk for both vaccines. Uh, and so that perhaps has um, influenced the FDA not acting on 
uh, clearing the Moderna vaccine down to age 12 as quickly as it might have. Uh, the other thing is, of course, that there is ample vaccine available for anybody who wants it down to age 12. So uh, folks can go out and get the Pfizer vaccine right now. And so it kind of took a little bit of the pressure off the FDA to also clear Moderna so quickly. That being said, once this signal emerged, the FDA is going to be very careful about uh, clearing any additional vaccines um, until they really understand the, the risk profile there. Uh, that will play into how they look at vaccines for younger age groups for both Pfizer and Moderna as well. And of course, this risk is in the label for these vaccines. It is very low, but it's higher for uh, younger men under age 30. And so it's something the FDA has been paying really close attention to. It doesn't necessarily surprise me to see these headlines because that was probably playing into this the entire time. Uh, the way the Wall Street Journal is tying this to decisions in other countries, that's new to me, but uh, it all kind of makes sense. Yeah. And in, t- in terms of a uh, time frame, the early reports that we were getting uh, said that this could take weeks is how it was being characterized. Can you shed any light on when something like this happens and there's a further review by the FDA, what kind of time frame we should or could be thinking about without knowing specifically, obviously? Well, I guess the, the question is, I mean, what was the time frame already? Because this application has been in front of the FDA for for months now. You know, this is just for 12 to 17-year-olds, from my understanding from this reporting. Um, and so, yeah, it could potentially take weeks. But the FDA has a lot on its plate when it comes to the Moderna vaccine and vaccines in general right now. They've got Moderna's full approval application waiting for them. Uh, they've got to review Pfizer's application for kids 5 to 11. That's coming up in just two weeks. Uh, so they've got a lot going on. And this just might not have been a top priority. And you add into it a potential additional risk for for kids when there's not an urgent need because you already have another vaccine out there, it doesn't spell you know, a lot of hustling on this particular issue. You, we appreciate you helping us out, Meg. Uh, that's Meg Terrell with the additional reporting on that story of the delay in the Moderna vaccine for adolescents as first reported by the Wall Street Journal. Um, Steve Weiss, back to you. And forgive me for interrupting you, but I wanted to get to Meg to give us more perspective yep. on this breaking story. Uh, at core, tell us about that first, please. So at course, so they've just been a stellar performer. The stock got up to almost to 100. And when it fell back to roughly 86 or so, that's when I re-entered the position, which is roughly where I sold. I may have sold it a point to two lower. Uh, but they're managing the cost supply chain very well. It, it's a small company. Uh, they're doing a great job. So it's a cheap stock at about 10, 11 times earnings. So that's, where, that's why I bought it. And, uh, and Jabel? So, Jabel, uh, when they reported the quarter, uh, it was disappointing. Unquestionably, it was disappointing. And I was able to sell the stock before it started to collapse. Then the stock traded down like five bucks. And I said, you know what? This is overstating the risk in it. It was a new position, so I didn't have the full position just yet. I mean, not that it was a small size. It wasn't small. And I said, you know what? Down here, it seems overdone, so I'm going to buy it. And I bought it, and I've been adding to it. They're still going to talk about a $10 earnings number. The company's doing extremely well. They just managed its call. And what we stark about is that they haven't missed over the last count the quarters. So that's why people got unsettled. I've looked at it as an opportunity. All right. I appreciate that. Uh, All right. Don't miss John's trades and unusual activity. He's going to have those after the break. Before we do go to break, take a check on the S&P sectors today. Led by discretionary, really good retail number. Uh, The financials. Really strong earnings, and there's the industrials as well. We're back after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number 
and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, let's do unusual activity. Dr. J, what do you see today? Well, Scott, this one's got a great name, Venom, V-N-O-M. It's actually Viper Energy, and uh, Bryn Talkington has mentioned this one. We see big upside buying in the June 24 calls. Now, that's not that much upside because the stock's over $23 right now, but they bought 5,000 of these. I love that it's out there in the future, Scott. This is Bakken. This is uh, Permian Basin. It's a, definitely a fracking play. Love that. Second one, AER. They rent aircraft. Uh, and I think that's obviously a hot sector. We've been talking about reopening today. That's a sector where people need those jets and they're going to pay the leasing company for them. AER, November 6250 calls. They bought a bunch of those. Quick update, Scott. SoFi, we talked about it several times. The stock has just gone up and up and up. Calls are up over 400 percent. So we cashed out of over half of those, and we're hoping for more upside going forward. That jar, uh, nice week, up uh, 22 percent for SoFi. You mentioned, Doc, uh, Brin's Viper Energy pick. If um, our viewers recall, mm-hmm. when we did our sort of mid-year picks for names that were going to outperform in the second half, Viper was Brin's pick, or at least one of them. It's up almost 30 percent since then, so it's a great pick, and you're seeing some yep. activity as well. The lady knows energy. What can I say? In Houston, yep. who'd, be, who'd believe that? <laughs> exactly. All right, Doc, thank you. Macy's is in the crosshairs of activist and billionaire investor Carl Icahn, stepping up his battle with Southwest Gas. The very latest on those two. We'll do it next. All right, welcome back. Macy's moving higher today on an activist move. The new developments in Carl Icahn's proxy fight with Southwest Gas. Leslie Picker following the money for us, as she always does, with both of these stories. Hey, Les. Hey, Scott, that's right. Activist investors really upping the ante in October. Jana Partners is pushing Macy's to spin off its e-commerce business. I've spoken with a person close to the situation who tells me the firm has a stake in Macy's, although it's unclear how big it is at this time. The activist sent a letter to the company on Wednesday, and I'm told Macy's has received inbound interest from outside suitors who would be uh, interested in potentially acquiring that e-commerce division in the event of a spinoff. Macy's declined to comment, but its shares rose was about 3% yesterday, and they're up pretty significantly again today. Southwest Gas shares also getting an activist boost up 7% yesterday after Carl Icahn disclosed he's launching a full-on proxy contest to replace the entire board there. He's also initiating a tender for all common shares for $75 a piece. The move comes with caveats, though. Icahn is displeased by the company's recent ac- announced acquisition of Queststar Pipeline from Dominion Energy, something he calls in the letter a, quote, massively dilutive travesty in defense. Southwest Gas triggered a poison pill on Monday. Icon says that would need to go if he were to move forward with his tender offer. Scott, I am guessing you're going to be chatting about that a lot with Icon himself next week. We absolutely will. Leslie Picker, thanks so much.
As Leslie said, the billionaire investor Carl Icahn will be joining me for an exclusive interview on Monday. It is all part of Halftime's 10-year anniversary week. We have so many big and important investor guests lined up that you will hear from over the next week or so. Up next, we'll get you ready for all the big earnings next week as well, plus final trades, of course. Uh, another reminder of the huge week we have ahead on halftime as we celebrate our 10th anniversary on this program. That's just part of the lineup there. Icon and Einhorn, Gerstner and Jim Reynolds, Jeffrey Gunlock, David Tepper, Nelson Peltz, Jim Chanos, so many more. Mario Gabelli, Michael Ovitz, Keith Meister, and on and on. We're looking very much forward to that. It is a big week of earnings as well. Netflix is one of the headliners reporting, Jason Snipe. You own it. You trimmed a little bit earlier in the year. Street's pretty bullish on it, though. Netflix, Target goes to 705 at Sam Piper Sandler. Target goes to 675 at Morgan Stanley. It's added to tactical outperform at Evercore ISI. Stock's like 15 bucks. That's it, away from a new high. You're right, Scott. I trimmed it earlier this year. I thought it was consolidating. Um, Netflix, for me, has always been a content story. And now that production is back, you know, I could, I could see Netflix continuing to move higher. So I like it here. Dr. J, you have calls? Yeah, like Jason, I like it, Scott. 650 is my target for it for next week at 630 right now. I picked that target because that's where the most active spec is to the upside, Scott. So uh, time will tell, but boy, these guys have been hitting it hard, just like your group that's going to join us next week. Yeah, and Jenny, uh, Intel, you know, we've, we've given you grief over the that. Stock. We've given you grief over it. Um, <laughs> The stock's down 3% over the last three months, trading at $54 right now. What's your outlook? What are your expectations here for this report? So the stock everyone loves to hate, right? Earnings expectations are supposed to be flat over last year. Meanwhile, for both the two quarters that Gelsinger's been in charge, he's delivered 20% plus upside. So I think he's going to use the call as another opportunity to build a base of confidence. And as that continues to happen, it should re-rate off of its 12, 12 times multiple. Why don't you give me a final trade, if you wouldn't mind? Give it mind. time. Okay, Disney. I don't know if you all saw this, but the U.S. just lifted some travel ban restrictions, and yep. that's really positive as rich tourists return to be directly beneficial to Disney. Kramer thinks as well, uh, the same thing as well. He was talking about Disney uh, urging investors to buy it as well. Steve Weiss. XPL Logistics. J.B. Hunt reported earnings, and they were incredible. XPL, that's their business. Freight brokerage and freight, I think, will do quite well. Management's excellent. Okay. Jason Snipe. CRM, I like the momentum in the stock. I think it pushes 300 in the short run. And Dr. J. Ride blockchain, R-I-O-T, Scott. All right, we'll take you out uh, with a look at the Dow, uh, NASDAQ, S&P. It is a good day, a good Friday for stocks thus far. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, 
The ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.